Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tony Katz. This is Kendall and Casey. The Amber and Nigel Show. All right, well, when does your show start? Do we know? I feel like I've been promoting this for nine years now. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome to the Tony Kinnicast here on 93 WIBC. That's 93.1 FM out of Indianapolis, as well as the live streams on Twitter X and YouTube and the podcast services you know and kind of sort of hate. So there's a lot of news to get into this evening. First is that uh, the U.S. Senate has passed an incredibly garbage foreign policy bill. Uh, That's $95 billion that includes uh, all kinds of foreign aid Um, and a lot of other weird things other than just foreign aid. uh, That's very, very concerning. Um, There's not a lot of chance of this going through the House, although, again, the Republicans' lead is very slim, and Speaker Mike Johnson's hold over, I'd say, about 10 of those Republicans kind of varies from day to day. So we'll have to see what happens over the next couple of uh, it's the next couple of days. Usually we'll kind of see a little bit more. There's some weird stuff breaking about this piece of legislation, even after it has moved out of the Senate. A lot of senators voted in favor of this bill against uh, the majority polls of their constituents. And that's due to a, a very weird misunderstanding on a lot of sides in foreign policy that we're going to break into here in just a little bit. However, it is important that we take a moment and talk about what the House is currently up to. The House, with Steve Scalise back, might actually have uh, exactly one over votes needed to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. This border crisis is still a nightmare for the Democrats. And while they temporarily had, I guess, a moment of respite, maybe, peace, perhaps, uh, from the border crisis to talk about President Biden's other issues regarding his special counsel report and his aggressive dementia, uh, the border is still there. It's not going away, and it certainly isn't looking any better for the Democrats, given that every single threat the Biden administration has levied towards Republicans, both on the campaign trail as well as in threats to stop ICE from deporting uh migrants who shouldn't be here, which is kind of illegal. Uh, Yeah, that's not working on making Republicans look bad in the national eye. So Biden is suffering under that. The House of Representatives has also uh, subpoenaed the official transcripts from Robert Hur's investigation into President Biden's willful handling of classified documents because they suspect, at least in the letter that was sent, that President Biden has likely hidden things like foreign business deals. Uh, in documents still, as well as uh, perhaps a reference to this in his interview with Robert Hur. Again, given that Robert Hur asked President Biden about his time as vice president, and given that there are several very disturbing connections to Ukrainian, uh, Kazakhstan, and other foreign businesses uh, coinciding with President Biden or vice president's tenure, uh, this looks to be one of those situations in which uh, these transcripts might actually get out in the public. Which means the nation might actually get to hear President Biden say up front that he does not know when he was vice president of the United States and that he did not know within a scope of several years 
uh, as to when Hunter Biden passed away, which is, again, just incredible. The, the Republicans are genuinely on a roll right now, and they're on a roll for one reason. The Democrats cannot stop from doing stupid things. They can't stop it. And it is it is genuinely loss after loss after L after L, and they can't stop themselves from screwing up. Now, Republicans are trying their best to get in their own way because they always do. Um, there is a long time till November and Republicans have a lot of feet to shove in their collective mouths and do really stupid things in front of the nation. If every Republican in Congress and running for president didn't say anything between now and November, it would be a landslide victory for Republicans. Why? Well, for one, because uh, the things that are coming out of the mouths of individuals like White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, as well as Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, are describing Biden's current mental state as being sharp. He's fine. He's all good. This is how both of those individuals described President Biden. And uh, I got to be frank with you guys. If, If it's true that I guess Biden just has stage fright, you know, he just just gets a little shy in front of the cameras and and the lights are really bright these days Um, that apparently after the doors closed and he's away from the media, if he's really super sharp and and witty and and really pensive and like Karine Jean-Pierre says, he really pushes us to get more out of us. If that's the truth, then release the transcripts with with Robert Hur. Let's hear Let's hear what this uh, amazing, sharp, uh, ancient wit looks like. I'm I'm interested. I'm interested in hearing this brilliant wit from a president who uh, mixes up foreign leaders and the border of uh, Egypt with the border of Mexico. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm up for that. Uh, I did love that amid President Biden's attempt today to try to blame Republicans for not passing uh, the Senate bill that he decided to say, we need to fund Ukraine because if you don't, you're super pro-Putin. He then slams Trump for this uh, very poorly worded, stupid comment that he made about how if NATO countries didn't pay their fair share, which they should, then he was going to uh, basically hands off, you know, Putin, you can do whatever you want with delinquent NATO nations. Biden was slamming him for that because he said, and I quote, no president has ever bowed down to a Russian dictator. Um, Only that's not true. Uh, He was vice president the last time that happened. President Obama was caught on the hot mic with Russian Secretary Medvedev saying, just give me a little more time. I'll be able to work with you better after the election. So uh, you remember that then after President Obama's 2012 election, then Russia launched the invasion of uh, Crimea. So um, certainly not the first president ever to say stupid things regarding Russia. I really do love that it was Biden who said that just because of the irony. Uh, The Dems losses continue. I mean, just consistently. It is just it's unspeakable. Um, My personal favorite Uh, at least at the beginning, is that Democrats cannot seem to get away from President Biden's dementia. They can't. They have no idea how to possibly make excuses for it. Uh, Some leftist journalists from the Washington Post, the New York Times, the New Republic, um, and The Intercept, and a lot of other outlets, they're claiming that you can't actually say Biden has dementia because you're not a doctor. Problem, the problem is, um, oh, what was it? Oh, yeah, it was these Democrats that said Trump had mental issues and they didn't need to be a doctor to say that. There's actually a New York Times article titled Trump has a mental illness. You don't need to be a doctor to know that. So none of those excuses are working. And again, every time Biden gets on stage, he says something even worse. Here's President Biden from today uh, blessing the Speaker of the House. God bless you all. May God protect our speakers. And I promise I'll come back and answer questions later. Thank you. God 
bless this, be with a speaker of the House. Just t- 10 out of 10. I, you have to think that the people running the Democrat campaign right now have to be screaming because it's past the filing deadline. They are in all kinds of trouble. And now the very last thing that Biden has to get through is possibly a foreign policy spending bill that is in serious, serious trouble. And that is at least when Karine Jean-Pierre is, is not claiming that across the country there's been a significant decrease in crime, which is uh, not even remotely true. We're going to talk about that and the uh, new foreign aid deal here in just a couple of minutes. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening and welcome back to the Tony Kinnicast here on 93 WIBC. The Senate has passed a multi-super-duper billions of dollars in a Senate bill, $95 billion. Now, this goes absolutely everywhere. There's a, a $60 billion chunk that goes to Ukraine. Um, there's other major chunks that goes to Taiwan, to Israel, um, as civilian aid to the people of the Gaza Strip. Now, that comes with an asterisk because... We have yet to find any foreign aid that actually gets to the people inside the Gaza Strip, given that Hamas completely controls that entire government. The people of the Gaza Strip state very openly, they get nothing. So a massive foreign spending bill. And it also has a couple of extra pieces of junk in it, like an injunction that probably would force the next uh, president of the United States to continue funding Ukraine no matter what or face impeachment, which is very problematic for, again, a funding allocations bill. So the foreign aid bill sucks. Why? This is the question I don't hear enough people asking. Why does the bill suck? Now, the common answer you pull from the hip is, well, because it's giving a lot of money. That's not why it sucks in particular. Now, that is a part that sucks. However, the United States annual budget is about $7 trillion. And while $95 billion is a lot of money, and this is the first of several bills like that this year, that is not the only reason the bill sucks. It's not. And the reason the bill sucks is because no one in the country has an understanding of foreign policy. You need an understanding of foreign policy to understand when, where, and why you spend money. Now, right now, you have a lot of people on the Democrat and the establishment Republican side of the aisles, which are suggesting that we need to give money because people are in trouble. And so money is going to be like Superman. If we just throw enough money at Ukraine, they're going to retake the Donbass. They're going to retake Crimea and they're going to push Russia all the way back and everyone's going to be happy. Uh, No. And then there's the weird isolationist portion of the Republican Party that I've seen even creeping up onto the House and Senate floor among senators and representatives that I really respect and enjoy talking to. And they have started to say that, well, we need to like not get involved in any foreign issues at all. We need to block out the entire world because uh, the border is the only thing that matter, the southern border. And if we, we just kind of shut the world out, no one will bother us. Everyone will be fine. And that's America first policy. Both of these camps are not only wrong, they're disingenuous, and they have no idea what foreign policy is. So as a service this evening, we're going to talk a little U.S. civics and dig in. What is the goal of foreign policy? If you are a nation, you need to have some kind of policy for interacting, for trading, uh, for threatening other countries so that your people aren't harmed. And so the general situation on your borders is good. That means you really get two schools of thought. 
School of thought number one is your foreign policy is built to make things the best for your citizens. That is a Teddy Rooseveltian idea of foreign policy that everyone out there in the world matters a lot less than United States citizens. That's who elected me to power. That's who I care about. That's where my family lives. United States citizens come first. Then we discuss ancillaries. So therefore, every decision is, will this make life better for Americans? There's another view of foreign policy that's come about in the last couple of decades, mainly from progressives, which is that uh, the world is one big global community. And so when you make a foreign policy decision, you need to consider how the 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 individual in, in the Congo is going to benefit from this, whether the the guy playing on the basketball courts in Syria, as, as Obama used to put it, whether his life is getting better. And that's a very silly and, and stupid way to view foreign policy. See, this is, again, why the Democrats are suggesting tons and tons and tons of foreign aid to countries that hate us. And even Nikki Haley on the right is against giving money to countries that hate us. Foreign aid has one use and or two uses. Case number one is to fund allies that we have a direct interest in maintaining a military oppositional presence in a region. Number two, giving foreign aid is a great way to bend countries to our will. We will give you this amount of money so that you incorporate these policies because it benefits the American citizen. Now, this leads to a few uncomfortable truths that people really don't like to come to terms with, but you have to come to terms. And I don't just mean the policy wonks with the political science degrees in their first year at Ball State. I mean, you actually, as the common Hoosier, need to come to terms with some harsh truths about foreign policy. Because I'm sick of seeing all of the silly memes on social media about how either the United States builds a 30,000 foot bubble around the country and interacts with no one, or we have to get involved in every foreign conflict for all eternity, printing out money like it's the Sunday newspaper. And this principle is foreign policy often means picking the lesser of two evils, picking the solution that may be a little bit difficult, but you are preventing something worse down the road. The big issue with the Senate funding bill is that there has been actually no picture planted in the Americans' mind of what we're trying to do. What are we trying to do by giving money and supplies to Ukraine? And you say to fight Russia. Yeah, no kidding. Dig a little bit deeper. When you mean that the United States is giving money to Ukraine, what is the goal that we hope to accomplish in Ukraine that benefits the American citizen? Because that's going to change the entire scope of the game. Is it for Ukraine to retake the Donbass and Crimea? That ain't happening. Is it to stop something short and prevent Russia's aggression into Europe any further? Russia's not an ally on the world stage. They have never been an ally on the world stage. Well, Russia is an extremely aggressive imperialist power, just as the United States should be an aggressive imperialist power. Imperialist powers live to the next generation. Non-imperialist powers usually die in about 50 to 100 years. Case in point, watching Portugal, France, and the UK turn into small, dinky nations who no one gives a crap about anymore. So therefore, let's take a look at some uncomfortable truths here that we need to come to terms with in foreign policy, because without this, you're just going to keep seeing more billions and billions of dollars of spending bills like Senator Todd Young signed on to today. He can't even tell you what it's for. Just, oh, I guess it's good to fight Russia. Okay, we need to come to terms with some difficult truths. Here's the first one. Number one, Russia is not strong. Russia is not a strong superpower. Russia can't even conquer a weak, very corrupt country with one-eighth of an air force. So 
creating some kind of an off-ramp in which the United States basically organizes a ceasefire and a peace between Russia and Ukraine is not going to result in Russia rolling through Europe. That is a silly, stupid idea. The same country that can't even take some Ukrainian cities who are held by guys with pitchforks and pool cues is not suddenly going to roll across Europe like some kind of 1984 nightmare. Number two, Ukraine is not taking the Donbass and Crimea back. They're just not. Unless NATO forces are actually going to send in real troops and our air forces, it ain't happening. I'm sorry. I give Ukraine 13 trillion zillion dollars and every single piece of equipment inside the Lockheed Martin arsenal down in Florida. It just ain't happening, guys. We've watched for year. We've watched for several years. We've given them all of the stuff that we we can, aside from blatant open declaration of war type stuff. And Russia has taken the Donbass in Crimea, and that's just the the way it is. Ukraine's not pushing them out, so therefore there needs to be some kind of an exit ramp. Trade is not threatened by Russia, so usually this is when Ukraine starts getting lumped into some kind of weird Taiwan and Israel situation where we have to fund Taiwan and Israel and Ukraine or we don't fund anything at all. And that's stupid. Ukraine is a very different situation than Taiwan and Israel. Israel and Taiwan matter on a geopolitical stage internationally. 40% of the United States trade sphere for both imports and exports directly deal with Taiwan, who manufactures all of the electronic chips and a huge other chunk of manufacturing for goods that Americans purchase. And Israel maintains trade routes in the Mediterranean Sea and the Red Sea. So you kind of need trade to have an economy. I know it's kind of shocking stuff. So Ukraine's not the same. Uh, Ukraine losing the Donbass and Crimea is not going to affect international trade. And I'm going to be honest with you, Europe needs to be fighting this fight. If the UK and Germany and France and all of the other European nations are so terrified of Russia rolling through Europe, then they really should enact the draft and get going. Because the United States economy does not live or die on Russia. Ukraine is Europe's breadbasket. If they're worried about buying grain from Ukraine, maybe they should go and fight for it. Realistically. Very different spheres of influence. China is a threat, however. Their economic and political instability leads them to actively make a move against Taiwan this year. Who, by the way, other than Japan, uh, Taiwan's our most key ally in the region because of the economy and the trade routes through the region. Trade matters, guys. In the Red Sea, we have the Houthis with Somalia that are threatening us. By the way, not just because we are aiding Israel. Uh, One of the mottos of the Houthis is death to America. Just kind of a fun fact there. And by the way, the United States Navy was literally founded on the idea of destroying Shia Muslim pirates attacking United States trade routes. The fact of the matter is, guys, American citizens are best served when we exert our will on the globe. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, that's tough. You, we have to trade. The American citizen must have the right to move about the globe freely and trade as he or she pleases. If you don't like that, you have a very weak view of the United States, and I quite frankly don't have any respect for you. Endless wars, which is usually what they'll hit you with. Oh, these neoconservatives and their endless wars, their Bushian wars. That doesn't come from the Teddy Rooseveltian idea of, of waging a war or maintaining a trade route. Teddy Roosevelt would straight up march in, occupy your capital, and you would just be the United States protectorate now. 
And if you have any questions about that, search some of the Cuban and Philippine revolts of the early 1900s and tell me that Teddy Roosevelt didn't know how to maintain a nation that he conquered after going to war. The Bushian post 9-11 view of foreign policy is, you know, we go in and you build some community career centers and everything's fine. That's bad foreign policy, too. So the Mitt Romney style foreign policy where you just throw money at it forever without a goal is pathetic. If you want a good foreign policy, if you want a good country, you have to have a goal. And the goal has to be carried out realistically with some harsh truths that are essential to understand in order to be a voting adult. And I'm, I'm tired of watching people just say the number as though that's supposed to scare me. What's the number doing? Is the number doing things that I like or is the number doing things that I don't like? Is the number making my life as an American citizen better or not? That's the point. That's what matters. Up next, we're going to be talking to Stephen Kent with our weekly segment of What You Watch and Don't Go Anywhere. This is the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the Tony Kennett Cast here on 93 WIBC, both on 93.1 FM out of Indianapolis and on our YouTube and Twitter X live streams, podcast services, a lot of great places that you can find our stuff. Our guest for this evening, uh, he's on usually every Tuesday if life doesn't get too much in the way is Stephen Kent. Uh, he's at the Consumer Choice Center as well as Geeky Stoics and Bounding into Comics. Uh, he's our media man when it comes to culture past just the you know regular rigmarole. Uh, it's always fun to bring Stephen on and ask, what you watching? Well, I am uh, joining the rest of America in being, well, at least a little bit interested in the return of John Stewart to Comedy Central. Now, I don't know what you think about this, Tony, because when I heard that John Stewart was going to be uh, reprising a weekly role hosting his old daily show, you know, my immediate reaction was like, this kind of feels like a, a dog going back with its tail tucked in between its legs. You know, mm -hmm. he retired, uh, went into the wild for a couple of years, and then he showed up on Apple and had a, a show that completely bombed uh, and then was eventually canceled. Uh, by Apple. And now he's back where he started. Uh, so I was like, all right, this ain't going to be that great. Uh, but his first show was last night. And I'm kind of seeing clips from it everywhere. And it indicates to me that people actually found it pretty funny. Well, there's a, a couple of clips that you sent me from it. Now, I've never been a fan of Jon Stewart, but um, probably for maybe a few different reasons than the average person may or may not be a fan or or, or not. When it comes to Stuart, I think uh, his his vocal, his demeanor, and actually how he delivers is pretty similar to my own, though I didn't watch him growing up. It's that kind of sarcastic, mm. laying it on the ground style. Uh, and I really enjoy that. But the reason that I don't like him usually comes from disingenuity. Uh, but mm. either either way, uh, you want to show that first clip? You want to tell us what's going on in that, that first segment here? Yeah, so... Uh John Stewart did a segment last night looking at the case between Donald Trump and Joe Biden and spent some time just absolutely eviscerating 
uh, the sitting president over his age, his geriatric nature, uh, and the fact that they are trying to blame voters for being concerned about this or being put off and acting like we don't know what dementia and memory loss looks like. Uh, mm -hmm. We all have seen it in our own private lives with loved ones, uh, and we're not stupid. And right. uh, Far it, was too nice, it was nice to see. It was nice to see John Stewart just say what everybody is thinking in such a clear way as John Stewart is has often been able to do when he yeah, say the, the thought that's that's in the forefront of the of the mind. And then he, he takes that and then he goes into, well, you check it out for yourself. What's crazy is thinking that we are the ones as voters who must silence concerns and criticisms. It is the candidate's job to assuage concerns, not the voter's job not to mention them. And look, I'm not trying to be. So he, he, he dives in and you know says, look, this is, it's not the voter's job to carry weight for the campaign on either side. Very, very true. Mm -hmm. I hate this. Oh, how? Well, why? Well, you know, on the on the Trump side of the campaign is well, you aren't loyal. You know, you you can't look at someone else in a primary. Trump did this. You did, actually, it was fine. You need to be loyal. You need to like stick with the movement. He's got a plan. And then the same coming from the left. I just wrote an article for this with the Daily Signal, and I like that. That that's that's very good stuff. You know, I mean, it's something you're not really hearing from a lot of hosts at the moment. Yeah, I mean, and, and this, the clips that I kind of sent you for this are, are once he does the thing where he does, you know, a couple of minutes of stand up comedy, making jokes, and then he pivots always towards sort of righteous indignation and, and straight talk. And, you know, he spends just several minutes just laying into the fact that uh, Biden can't even do uh, anything persuasive on the campaign trail. And he, all he does is sort of weird, TikTok style videos for young voters who are never going to be interested in him, in him. And he just sounds like some sort of broken robot. Which uh, reminds me, by the way, and I, I, I'm surprised that Stuart didn't mention this because uh, this was at the forefront of my mind. I ended up posting about it this morning. Do you remember in the 2016 campaign when Hillary Clinton got on Vine from Twitter? Oh, yes, I and, did. you know, I'm just chilling in cedar rapids you know pokemon go to the polls I, oh, it just it <laughs> what's hurts. up my what's up my boys this is what's joe up? biden here here to share some riz with you <laughs> didn't hillary clinton say my what's up cool cats and kittens or <laughs> uh, well you know she does have a a wonderful talent for code switching when she is in front of the the right audience and making a fool of herself tony oh uh, my but, goodness yeah i mean john john stewart look i have a complicated opinion about John Stewart as well. You know, I have always been a, a right of center guy. So John Stewart was never exactly my warrior on television. But I was watching him when he was on Comedy Central when mm -hmm. I was uh, when I was a younger person. And I thought it was funny. I like his lecture on Chicago style pizza is incredible. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's a very good piece of comedy. He is he is genuinely a great comedian. I don't care if somebody is to the left of center. I just want them to not be a hack uh, and to actually tell jokes. Uh, and you cannot get legitimate stand-up comedy and humor from late-night television, uh, from the people on CBS and ABC and NBC. Uh, it is all gaslighting and making Americans believe like they are crazy for seeing Joe Biden uh, as a fading star. So I, I'm going to piggyback off that. And that brings us to the next clip, because whereas I think that Jon Stewart is not as bad as the, the Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Neutron and New, Jimmy Johns, whatever Jimmy, Jimmy. Jimmy's are on, on the other programs. 
um, Jimmy and Plank from Ed, Ed and Eddie. Um, anywho, uh, <laughs> this next clip is, is one that, uh, some enjoyed and I, I actually don't here. We'll show you guys. If your guy loses, bad things might happen, but the country is not over. And if your guy wins, the country is in no way saved. I've learned one thing over these last nine years, and I was glib at best and probably dismissive at worst about this. The work of making this world resemble one that you would prefer to live in is a lunch pail job day in and day out, where thousands of committed, anonymous, smart, and dedicated people bang on closed doors and pick up those that are fallen and grind away on issues till they get a positive result and even then have to stay on to make sure that result holds what's so i don't have an issue with anything that he said there in fact this is one of the things that i try to bring forward to people all the time whenever i'm on the air whenever i'm writing an article which is it's a marathon there is no quick fix especially in the education reform space. You, mm -hmm. There is nothing that's going to snap fingers and fix it. No candidate is going to magically fix things for you. The problem is who this is coming from. John Stewart was one of the key people during the Trump administration that everything was the end of the world. Everything was the end of the world always constantly. And now what he's portraying is that both candidates are just as bad as the other. And first of all, the polling doesn't show that. And number two, the actual evidence, we took time actually analyzing Trump's speech from, you know, eight years ago and 16 years ago, as opposed to now, and then Biden's speech eight years ago, 16 years ago, as opposed to now. And my issue with John is that he's saying, well, both of them are really bad and awful and decrepit. Okay. Well, I'm, he's, I'm he's gonna... a liberal, he's a liberal Democrat, Tony. I mean, you got to cut the guy some slack for his priors uh, to go on television and, and just remind everybody uh, the very simple fact that the republic is not over when you lose an election, that it is not, in fact, a flight 93 moment uh, mm -hmm. every four years. That is exactly the kind of message that people need to be told, especially when you consider that his audience are left of center, right. eh, younger people, and then like aged millennials like you and, and I. I and I wholeheartedly agree with that. I do. I, I think that, again, no, the world is not over at the end of the election one way or the other. And, and there are a lot of people who believe very adamantly, you know, to the negative on that one. But I guess my issue is that while it's nice to have kind of what, what we in the Midwest would call a come to Jesus moment mm -hmm. where he's like, look, this is actually about the daily grind and trying to what some have said, you know, the arguing of the marginal tax rates, the stuff that Republicans and Democrats can kind of go back and forth on and agree for he hasn't been an agent of suggesting that over the last couple of years. And so I wouldn't when he know says, I wasn't watching his show and nobody else was either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's kind of for a reason when he says, you know, well, I was being glib at best or dismissive yeah. at worst. It's like, that wasn't the best and worst for you though. And that's why I, and this is my problem with Bill Mayer is that John and Bill try to say like, well, you know, yeah, I'm a liberal, but like I acknowledge the faults of my own party. And my answer to that is, well, I'd say one out of five times. Now, the one out of five times is great, but I'm, you know, again, as someone on the right, and you definitely on the right of center as well, who we, we're constantly calling out our own team, so to speak. I, I like John. I liked this segment, and I like John's delivery, but I'm not sure this was enough to make me say, you know what, I, I think I'll, I'll watch John a little more often. No, yeah, for sure. I think that's absolutely true. And um, for me, the thing that I just keep looking at right now is that Rolling Stone 
you know, they have a commentary kind of arguing the exact same thing right up uh, in, in on their website right now, which is saying that this kind of both sides are equally wrong sort of thing that ain't going to fly in 2024. And they're, of course, coming at it from a far left progressive point of view, whereas mm-hmm. you're coming at it from, you know, sort of a tired and, and aggrieved conservative point of view because we're tired of this kind of crap. However, uh, that is just not the case. Most people are tired of this and they do believe that both sides are captured by radical forces that do not embody the median american view on any issue and oh, we i should, agree with that we should demand oh, i absolutely better. agree with that and i and i do think so yes 100 percent. i do agree that both parties are a complete mess i do think that populism has captured the right and i do think that progressivism has captured the left and it's a terrible sure. thing the issue is that there's a there's a stark difference uh, between, yeah, I'm really tired. Aren't you tired of it? I make this joke all the time. We're in the ninth year of 2016 yeah, or the eighth year or whatever. It has been mm-hmm. 2016 for eight years at this point. I'm tired. Are you tired? We all yeah. are. But there's a difference. We often then make the jump that, that says, well, therefore, both parties are equally as bad and both candidates are equally as bad. And I think that there's a clear distinction to be made. I hear this all the time. We might have to have you on um, another day that isn't a what you watching day and just dig into this as, as two exhausted guys. What do you think? I mean, I think that sounds great. Um, and I don't want to put you over time here, but, you know, I just I kind of go back to what you said about it being the ninth year of 2016. And you're absolutely right, uh, because the first thing that I think about is that, again, that Flight 93 document, that essay that was put out by, I believe, Michael Anton, right? Um, I think that so. The, that the Donald Trump Hillary Clinton election was like a, a, a life or death kind of moment for the republic. Mm-hmm. And I said it on television the day after that was published, and I'll say it again now, Hillary Clinton, really? Like that, that woman is awful, but she was not going to be the death of the Republic. She's, no. she's a through line of establishmentarian. Yeah. You super know, selfish, corrupt, um, would have gotten her own way a bunch. Just again, as, as Biden I just, has. I want off this crazy train of, of doomer perspectives about politics. Mm, I definitely don't disagree. Stephen Kent, Consumer Choice Center, as well as Bounding into Comics and Geeky Stoics. Kind of a more sullen watch you watch in this week, but <laughs> hey, you gotta have that. Thanks for hopping on, man. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. You are listening to the Tony Kennett cast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's the Tony Kennett cast on 93 WIBC. Welcome back to the Tony Kinnicast here on 93 WIBC. So bills in Iowa, Indiana, and about a dozen other states uh, are currently on the floors uh, with the purpose of cementing the definition of sex and gender as linked to the real grown-up definition of biology. Uh, And by the way, that would be the uh, biological definition that in any species there are males, there are females, there are a microscopic percentages of individuals who may be intersex or hermaphroditic. Uh, and in those cases, 99% of that 0.01% usually displays either male or female tendencies, not both. Uh, there is no normal situation in which an individual neurologically just changes genders. It's not a thing. 
And so to avoid a lot of confusion and to make situations in which police need to investigate or in which hospitals need the records for perhaps a very serious accident or situation, um, and all they have is your driver's license, for instance, you need to know whether the individual is male or female. Because if you don't, uh, depending on the amounts of certain things that you give an individual, they could die. The left, of course, is losing their minds. The ACLU in Indiana is flipping out a lot of other agencies as well. Um, also, notably, a lot of Democrat candidates running for state house and state Senate seats, uh, which is definitely your goal in Indiana. Act more crazy and you will ensure the Republicans have a supermajority forever. Here's the fact. Just because you really want something to be true doesn't make it true. If you were really happier with some alternative definition of biology and your new body and your new sex life, you would not need my affirmation for approval. The ideology that has a suicide rate of 45% because people that lean into mental instability experience further mental instability and disconnect from reality is not something that should be coddled or accepted as normal. It's something that needs help, that needs medical attention. Again, not to lean further into it. You don't tell a schizophrenic. You can also hear the toaster talking. It requires drawing an individual out of that mess and being happy with the body that they have and addressing any kind of chemical imbalance. Now, look, if you're a grown adult and you really want to cut your breasts or your penis off, you want to cut the skin off of your forearm in order to make a fake penis, you want to nuke your endocrine system and quadruple your chance for cancer. Okay, that's your grown adult decision. Kids, absolutely not. The Indianapolis Star and other local media blog hacks can claim that this is gender affirming care, but they are lying to you. Biology has not changed. And if you don't like it, you, you think that's mean? You think that's unfriendly? Yeah, that's too bad. I, I don't care. And given the individuals that I've seen protesting in favor of uh, pro-trans kids or whatever at the state house, they, they don't exactly look like individuals that I would be getting life advice from. Uh, the point of biology, by the way, matters because if you are going to look at an individual and want what is best for them and to encourage healthy growth options, then you need to focus on the things that actually make a person mentally better. Again, if suddenly becoming transgender fixed everything, you would not see these individuals running around constantly saying that they were extremely anxious and depressed and that they desperately needed you to affirm their gender in order to be happy. I don't need anyone to affirm me being a straight man. Nobody needs to affirm that. I am a straight man whether you say so or not. Um, and I'm afraid to tell you that nothing that you have to say really does anything to change that. If you need the affirmation, I'm sorry, but I'm just not going to look to you to change time and space, policies and laws in order to make you feel better about a poor decision that you made. So biology hasn't changed, rest assured. Thanks for listening to the Tony Kinnecast this evening. We'll see you tomorrow. Check out the podcast. This has been the show on 93 WIBC.